Thank you for tuning in to Morning Moments with Pastor Bruce Goddard from Faith Baptist Church. We pray that this is a blessing to you. So good to get a few minutes with you today, and I'm thankful for a book to study. I'm thankful for a church that uh, God has kept alive throughout the generations. And of course, I mean our church, but uh, the work that God is doing through his people, through his churches, just nothing like it in all the world. And there's a lot of religion. There's a lot of uh, gatherings of people, congregations, be it lodges or uh, fraternities. But there's something about that group of people who hold a Bible in their hand and preach Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. The fellowship, the hope of those looking forward to being in heaven one day, all of those things, just irreplaceable and uh, nothing, nothing like it in all the world. And I'm looking forward to, to uh, being with him one day. I can't imagine anything any more amazing than stepping out of this world of corruption and into a world of holiness and purity, a world where there's no sin. I'm not talking about heaven today, but I am uh, I'm rejoicing for the people I get to work with, the things I get to do, and the, the God I get to represent. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 1 in a minute or two here. But I wanted to, uh, in these, uh, I do a videos, video morning moments, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then my podcast Tuesday and Thursday. And so sometimes they're the same lesson, not very often because I'm not very organized. And um, someone recently that had been in our church moved out of the area. I'm not sure if they're considering moving back or whatever. They sent me a text. They said, what would tuition be? They've been gone from our church for, I guess, three or four years maybe. And they said, what would tuition be in your school for three students? <laughs> I, I sent a text back. I said, you're asking the guy who couldn't tell you how much money he's got in his checking account without having to look up, look it up. And um, I don't have any kids in the school. And uh, you're, you're asking the wrong person. I said, ask somebody with some brains, anybody in the school staff. And uh, they laughed. And, but um, you know, there's, uh, there's a God that is impressive. It's not about people. And uh, I'll get to that in the scripture in a minute. But uh, when we started our church, and again, so I'm telling various stories, and sometimes they overlap. And um, if you want to get all the stories, uh, you won't get all of them. But if you want to get all the ones I share, you'll need to catch up on the the video, the YouTube channel, and, and catch up with those. But um, I was just thinking about some of the things that we did um, in the early days, this being our 40th anniversary, I've been sharing short stories and things about specific people. And um, at one point, we were um, we were in our our first tent on a little dirt lot. So uh, we moved into that tent on our fifth anniversary, and we moved off that property around our tenth anniversary, a little after our tenth anniversary. And so this story is somewhere between fifth and tenth year. And we were meeting in a tent and um, on a dirt lot. We had, um, I believe by this time, we had put a wooden floor in. We just put two by six floor joists one direction and laid plywood across the top and pretended we had a floor. It was right on top of the dirt. And, of course, it would rot with time. Um, we built a choir loft in one corner, uh, three different levels for the choir to stand on. I don't believe they, they may have sat. I think they did have room to sit in chairs. 
I'm trying to pick, remember some pictures I've seen. And um, we built a raised platform, and then on one side, the other, there's a choir on one side of the platform, the other side of the platform was a, a platform we built for the horse trough. And the ladies put a nice curtain around it, so it looked like a pretty thing, but it was just a eight-foot-long horse trough is all it was. We had a submersible heater the night before, you know, prayer meeting or whatever would get me into the tent. On Saturday night, I plug in this submersible heater, pretty common in the real cold country, so your horse troughs don't freeze over. And um, our area doesn't get that cold, but it's too cold to be getting in the water uh, with no heat. And not too cold, I guess. Some we had we baptized for a while in a pool with no heat. But um, uh, one one night, I, I didn't realize that we had um, someone had come forward to get baptized early, but actually before the service, I think during the singing. And somebody had planned it, and it was all okayed. And and, and uh, the platform was high enough that I could stand on the floor behind the baptistry. And it was just at a good level, maybe a two and a half foot platform and then a two and a half foot or so baptistry. And I could uh, help the person their stairs. They climbed up, got into the horse trough, and then they would sit down and I would tip them backwards uh, and, bapti and baptize them. And um, so I could walk right over from the pulpit and baptize and right back. But anyway, someone had come forward. And so some helpful person went over there and um, you know, we had this electric submersible heater. They took that out and got things ready. I went over and, and uh, the person came walking in. I baptized them and um, they left. I went back to the pulpit and, oh, we got another 10 or 15 minutes into the service and there's a huge explosion. Well, the guy who had pulled the heater out of the horse trough, he had not unplugged it. And it's it just a big, like a, I don't know, three-eighths inch a piece of steel with something running through the middle of it that ran in kind of a circle and had a, a little cover on it to make it look pretty, but it was just like putting two electric wires into the in, into the the baptistry. It was it was pretty primitive, and take it out of the water and it just got hotter and hotter and hotter and finally just blew up behind the baptistry, and um, and there's just uh, they're just life in the tent and so underneath the platform we built for the the choir, um, a family of skunks found that that was a nice, warm, dry place to meet and have their babies and raise their kids. And Sunday morning, one of the men would come over and vacuum and clean up from, you know, wind and dust and dirt from the week blowing in. And, and that would scare the skunks and they'd spray. And so all, all week long, the tents smelled pretty good, but on Sunday, it always stunk. And uh, they're just, um, Howard Jewell, he was an old singer that just a godly old man, and and he had sung um, with some of the crowd in the Billy Sunday day, and I'm not sure if he's saying with Billy Sunday, but that was his era. He was old, and his wife came, and, and we heard him first at pastor school, Dr. Jack Howes, had uh, introduced him, had him sing. Well, he came and spent a couple of days with us, and, and I tried to get him to preach. He said, no, I'm not a preacher. I'm an exhorter, and he'd sing and then testify or exhort whatever old-fashioned term you want to use, but it was just short sermons. He had no problem getting his spiritual point across. And um, uh, Howard Jewell was singing and preaching and singing and preaching. Oh, he had a good voice. And even in his, I mean, he had to be in his 80s, maybe older, I don't know, but oh, he had a great voice. And he'd sing all the old hymns with a spirit. And you couldn't help but smile as you watched. He didn't just sing, he he animated 
and such a pleasure. And uh, we had fin- we were finishing the service, had an altar call, and the, uh, the ushers, it was a, I don't think it was a Sunday night, it could have been, but I think it was an off night. Um, but in any case, it was irrelevant. We were, they had the invitation started. I see the ushers in the back, and they're fussing and doing something. I thought, what is wrong with those guys? They're trying to have an invitation. They're back there causing a ruckus. It wasn't real loud, but it, but it was. It bothered me. Something was going on. We ought to be focusing on the preaching, the music, the invitation. Well, I found out later that um, right when I started the invitation, the big old tarantula walked in the back door of the, the tent, and we're just walking down the island, and those ushers could just picture that tarantula, you know, a huge crowd of people on their knees at the altar and, and up one of the aisles, and, and he just they could just see that tarantula walking up alongside these people and thinking they'd rather cause a fuss in the back, and they, they did right. And, um, but those are awkward moments. And uh, it, was, it was dirty, and when it rained, it was messy. It was cold when it was cold when it was wintertime. It was hot when it was summertime. And um, again, on a dirt lot, People pulled their cars in and just, it was just a mess. It was a mess. But for whatever reason, God saw fit to bless. I remember one, one Sunday, we had a special day there on the property. We baptized 63 people one Sunday. I think we had four baptism robes, maybe six, but I think it was four different sizes. I think we just ordered one of each size thinking, well, that's, you know, that's, that's enough for a Sunday. But uh, so we just give it to them. They'd go in the little homemade bathrooms we had and come out, I'd baptize, and they'd go back in, change, and whoever was helping them would take that baptism rope and just toss it over a tent rope and let it blow dry a little bit, and then somebody else would come along and need that size. And, and I don't know how many times in one day those four baptism robes were used, but uh, it, we'd had a, a, it was a lengthy activity after church, so we had Sunday school church and then food and fun things. And so throughout the, uh, the whole time, probably six hours or, I don't know, four or five at least, from two hours of church, to a couple of hours of fun, and people were um, getting saved, getting baptized, or they'd gotten saved already. They came to get baptized. It took a while to get around it, but but um, it was it was. Uh, I look back thinking, why did anybody come? Just why did anybody come? And our nursery um, was a was an old bus, and um, and that bus had shag carpet. And if you remember the Partridge family, you know, just an old multicolored bus and I thought in the carpet and we built uh, cribs in it and a couple of rocking chairs and it was drivable bus we'd drive it to activities so we'd have a nursery and I just thought what are people thinking what are they doing coming to this church and uh, story after story of God's goodness and mercy and um, uh, sometimes I get thinking and and it's just all God and I think of the song I heard Curtis Hudson sing right but Nearing his death, he sang a song, All of grace is my story, all the way from earth to glory. And it's grace. It's a grace of God that God made things happen. And it wasn't uh, any great brilliance on our part. It was God. But with that in mind, I want to mention a scripture this morning. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Corinth. And he says in verse 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. And there's something about preaching and there's something about power. And you don't hear many preachers talking about power, 
But we need the power of God. We need God to come down and do things in the hearts and lives of people. It's not just carnal words. It's not just the will of men. There needs to be a divine event. Something needs to take place. Well, he goes on and um, verse 20, he says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the uh, wisdom, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. You see, the real wise, the real educated, the real brilliant—they don't know God. They've got their university degrees. They know more than anybody. They think they know more than God, <clears throat> and they don't know God. And and God's not going to reveal Himself to some arrogant person who thinks he knows more than than God Himself. And God is not looking for your brain. God's looking for your heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> he goes on a little bit further in verse 21. That it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Well, people can make fun of preaching. They can make fun of the gospel. They can make fun of the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They make fun of it all they want. But that's what God uses to save people. He goes on a little bit further. And uh, where I'm, I'm headed here to verse 26 and following. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Oh, there's a few brilliant people like Charles Finney, who was a very educated attorney. But for every Charles Finney, you'll find a Billy Sunday, who's an uneducated athlete, farm kid from Iowa, or Dwight Moody, who just had a few years of school and was a shoe salesman and as a teenager. His Sunday school teacher came by and led him to Christ, and he did such an amazing work for God. Or a Charles Spurgeon, greatest writer, most prolific writer in Baptist history, I would say. And um, Spurgeon only had a little bit of college, and that was at an agricultural college. Certainly smart, but it was a it was a common horse sense kind of smart. But um, God doesn't reach out and look for the smartest and the wisest and the most educated and the most athletic. God's not looking for the movie star. God's looking for the dear grandmother or mother who just takes care of their family and their house and, and loves God and prays for her family. God's looking for the man who gets up and goes to work, puts in the long hours and comes home at night tired, does his best to be a father and be a husband and uh, into the week or into the pay period, tries to figure out how to keep all the bills paid and Daisy cries, wondering what he's supposed to do. But God doesn't look for the brilliant. God is not reaching out and, and seeking only the, uh, the scholar, although he'll take some scholars. Paul the Apostle was certainly a scholar, but then there was James and John and Andrew and Peter, just fishermen, just common old guys. Matthew, a tax collector, probably a crooked one at that. You read over there in verse um, 27, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to have a bunch of financial prowess. He chose, the verse 28, the base things of the world, and things which are despised, which God hath chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. And here's the reason. Here's the reason God uses the common guy. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
You know, God wants to get all the credit. God wants to get all the glory. And I grew up as common as could be. I didn't really learn to read until I was in college and didn't get comfortable reading until I was pastoring. Um, I was not... Um, I was not in the inner circle in high school and college. I, I'm sure I graduated from college with no, not any staff members. Maybe one staff member knew my name, maybe two. And um, I walked across the platform, and God knew my name. And um, I didn't graduate uh, magna cum laude or summa cum laude. I didn't graduate who's who. I just graduated. And... Um, president of my college suggested I start a church. The pastor of our church um, heard that uh, a deacon in my home church had mentioned this area in Riverside County. And uh, when I told the story of this deacon who'd grown up here, never got saved, and he wanted me to come here and start a church. And so the pastor approved it, and the deacon in my own church approved it, and my college president approved it. So I just packed up and went. And I just figured that would do. I didn't come with any support. I didn't know anybody that would support me. I figured I could work and make money, and I worked and made enough to keep us fed and keep a roof over our house, our heads, and, and God took care of us. And um, God began to bring people, our, most, our key people, our, our finest workers that really stepped up and took the bull by the horns with us, per se, and, and ran with the thing and getting the ministry together. It's like every every now and then, I don't know, every few months, every six months or whatever, God would bring along somebody, and it would be I might be knocking on doors and, and not get anything done, and then somebody just come along and and um, they'd have a flat tire, and I'd be helping change a tire, and they're the ones that make a difference in our church. Um, but some of the key people they came from out of state, out of the area. Our school principal, uh, he and his wife were living in Orange County, an hour drive away, and we just stumbled across each other at a meeting one day, and and um, just immediately things clicked. Another good man who visited our church just because we happened to have a special guest that was passing through. We had, a, I think it was a small singing group, for, if I remember right, and somebody came all the way from Riverside, another hour drive, and they became finest of church members for years and years and years, and one after another, God just brought people, and we'd maybe knock on somebody's door, getting bus riders, and and the parents to the apartment next door would come, and and uh, somebody was driving down the road one day looking for a church, and they were behind one of our buses, and they just followed our, the bus to church, and they served for years, and it's God, uh, it's God that does the work. Over in Philippians, it says, it's God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And it's important that we understand that, that it's God who does it. And others, I'm not very together. I'm not very good together with paperwork. I'm not together with numbers. And I'm not very sharp at anything, except I know my Bible. I love my Bible. And um, there's some young men and, and some young ladies who feel they're not able but I believe if you get close enough to God, God is able. Um, I remember sitting with a very well-known pastor. He preached all over the country, around the world. And um, we were having a meal, and he'd been preaching for us. And, and um, we were talking about schedule, and he's really rigid. Everybody knows exactly what you're going to do, when you're going to do it. Have it all on your schedule. And, um, 
and uh, he was talking about it. And I said, let me just be honest. When I take you back to your motel, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm going to drop you off at your motel after we eat lunch, and then I'll pray and see what I'm supposed to do next. Uh, I said, I don't, I don't have a minute-by-minute minute schedule. And I was our churches have had several hundred people in it by that time, I'm, I'm guessing. And, um, and he said, Brother Goddard, you can't do that. You can't live that way. And I said, well, well, it's how I live. Um, you know, I take that verse literal, take no thought for the morrow, <laughs> for the morrow will take thought for the things of itself. Uh, I, I have a calendar and a schedule, and as our ministry grew and, and I matured, I learned. But um, uh, I'm not good with detail. I'm not good with paper. I think I'd rather be thrown to the lions than thrown to a, 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 a room full of paperwork that had to be done. But, but God isn't looking for the wise, and God is not looking for the prudent, and God is not looking for the mighty or the learned. God's looking for some people with a heart for him. And God can make things happen. God can sort things out. And I remember reading the biography of, his autobiography of Peter Cartwright. Back in the 1700s, a circuit riding preacher in the way out west in Illinois and down to Kentucky. And he'd travel and preach and travel and preach. And and uh, there were, he didn't have a church because there were just there were so many communities with no churches. So he'd just preach in this one and go preach in that one. Sooner or later, he'd get around to as many of these communities as he could. They'd just call for a meeting, and folks would stop everything they're doing. They'd have church. And uh, he was a common man. He he said he'd ride from city to city and tell his pants started to wear through, and he only had one pair of pants. And and then he'd have to stop and get a job and work till he had money to buy a new pair of pants. And, um, you know, of course, today we're thinking, well, why don't you get two or three pair of pants, you knucklehead? Well, he was just busy preaching. Um, God, God isn't looking for people who can stand in the mirror at the end of the day and, said, and say to themselves, you did a good job. God's looking for some people who will fall on their face before God and say, I, I can't do this. And I can't raise these kids. I can't train these children. I can't uh, care for this family. I can't. Uh, carry this responsibility, not without God. And when we, we come before God with that kind of a brokenness and a humility, then God can work and God can get the glory. And let's be careful uh, that we don't get glorying in our wisdom and our brilliance. And we're, just, we're just really not anything at all, but by the grace of God. I like what the apostle Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's his mercy and um, he's a wonderful God. Don't you think God can't use you? Uh, one of the finest finest men in our church, the first 10 years of our church, he was key in so many areas. He couldn't read and write. And what a good man he was. And, and uh, there's some great, great people. And uh, if, you, if, you, if you wanna serve God, he'll help you find a place to serve him. You surrender your heart to him. You love his book. Tell him you'll do what he tells you to do. You go where he tells you to go and tell him you're not very smart and you're not very good at anything, but, but you can listen and you can obey. You do that, God can take care of everything else. See, God's smart and God's powerful. What God needs is some open hearts. And that's, that's a labor to be that kind of an open-hearted, surrendered person. Don't worry about being a big shot. Let's just worry about being surrendered. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for taking a few minutes together today.